very welcome along. It's the gardening programme here on Midwest Radio on this Saturday morning. And uh, Pora Corkin is in the studio with us. I'm not sure what's beeping there. Good morning, dear. Me <laughs> that technology again, isn't That's it? That's technology yeah. for you. Yeah. yeah. Good morning. Good morning. How, how are you? I'm not too bad. How are you this morning? I'm not too bad at all. Not okay. too bad at all. What's what the day going to bring, I wonder? Um, well, I wouldn't be worrying about today. Tomorrow is going to be, I know they didn't tell us, but I, I've heard that tomorrow is going to be and a whole into, lot better. And into next week, I think. Yeah, yeah. Up to so Wednesday. today we have to put up with it. We do. Um, but yesterday was a cracking day, it wasn't was it? It was gorgeous. Yesterday morning was absolutely stunning. You couldn't but feel good. You couldn't but get into the garden. Well, some of us had to go to work. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. That's true. But However, hopefully, the intention was there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we are going to get rain today, so it is going to be difficult in the afternoon, I suppose, to get out into the garden. But tomorrow's looking good and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. So certainly, hopefully, the start of the uh, the summer season yeah. is kicking in. And I think even, I know today is going to be damp and everything, but like tonight, it's not going to get very cold. 89 no. degrees is fine. And, and it's quite warm out there yeah, at the moment. Yeah. It was about 10 degrees yeah. when I was coming up this Just morning. Just a bit of sunshine so. now and kind of cap That's it all what off. we need. That's what we need. Two things to mention. Yes. In the Garden Centre in Turlock uh, today, we have the Westport Beekeepers Association. Uh, they're doing uh, both today and tomorrow a full demonstration. The members are coming along. Mm-hmm. They'll have some of their... Uh, their, I was going to say their bee hives with them, but bee, bee-free hives with them. Okay. So they'll have demonstration hives just to show people, uh, you know... And, just and what a hive looks like and hives. how it works. Yeah, it? and samples of oh, honey. Great, yeah. And the guys will be there themselves to talk to people that are interested in getting into beekeeping. And Westport have a fantastic association over there, over 100 members. Wow. Uh, and as you know, I got into bees a couple of years, mm-hmm. well, about two years ago myself. And I'm surprised how easy they are to keep. Uh, you know, you think they'd be quite tricky and you'd have to put a lot of time and effort yeah. into them. But they're actually quite easy to keep. And the big big benefit I see in the garden is that the fruiting trees, those people that have apples and pears and fruiting trees in general, gooseberries, blackcurrants, all of the, the fruiting plants really benefit from having bees close by. Uh, so they generally travel up to about three miles. Mm-hmm. So they obviously oh, surrounding right. gardens will benefit as well. So anyone interested in getting in, and, and I would advise people, if you are getting in to bees, to join an association because your membership, you're, you, you, you're covered with your insurance as well, just in case, in the event. Okay, well, in the uh, event. What, what can happen? Is people well, get stung? People could it? get stung, yeah, right. absolutely. And, and I suppose there's, there's a, a responsibility there on people, if you are keeping bees, to obviously keep them safe and keep people safe keep people around safe. them. Okay. So, so joining an association makes sure that you're covered, covered. Uh, okay. from an insurance point and of view. Just on that front, out of curiosity now, um, is it uh, is I suppose keeping bees happy and keeping them well will keep people safe generally with that bees. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. And if people don't interfere with the bees, mm. they generally leave them leave them alone. So, you know, I have them literally in the back garden. And most of the members in Westport would have them in their gardens, and uh, you know, they, they they tend to be trouble free. Um, a little bit of work, yes, but but. It's not onerous, certainly. Okay. And they're and what, a joy to keep. What kind of work now would, you, would be involved? Well, during the winter months, you, you need to feed them. You need okay. to feed them with a, a sugary syrup to keep them going, particularly this year. And right across the country, mm. bees have been decimated because the summer has been quite poor last year. So the amount of pollen, bees cannot get out when the rain when it's raining. Okay. So they're housebound. Right. Right. They can't, and, and the pollen is obviously wet. They themselves will get wet and it interferes with their flying. So they were housebound for quite a long period yes. last year uh, from May right through. So in general, bees need a reasonably good summer to, to obviously collect the pollen and nectar to build up the the honey storage um, for, for the winter period. So feeding them during the winter period is the key thing. And really at this time of year, they're, they're starting to produce young mm. and they're out foraging. You'll see, I think last week I was saying about the dandelions, you'll see the yellow pollen 
been brought back in the little uh, baskets on the back of the legs of the bees, which is lovely to watch. Mm. They're they're very intriguing. Yes. <laughs> and I, you could spend half an hour just watching the hive, that. them going in and out. Um, and so they're very active at this time of year. And, and there is a little bit of work uh, rather than getting into, to, you know, to, yeah. over the over the summer period, there is a little bit of work, but it's it's not onerous. I was actually surprised how right. easy. Um, so, but uh, people that are interested, I suppose the first place to start is to go down to the garden centre today. The, the Westport beekeepers are there from 11 o'clock uh, today and 12 o'clock tomorrow on Sunday. And they're great. They're very enthusiastic, huge amount of knowledge, but they welcome uh, beginners in particular. There have a lot of beginners in the club. Right. A huge store of, uh, there's guys in the club like Henry Hork and, and Dermot uh, Flaherty who, who have just a wealth of knowledge um, and are willing to impart that. So if you're just interested in bees, and I know there's lots of people mm. that are, or even people that have bees and just want to know what to do at this time of yeah. year, drop into the garden centre today or tomorrow, talk to the guys and um, they'll show you give you some key tips but they'll also show, show you the hives and show you the honey that they've produced locally uh, which is great and they tell me that the local honey is great for people that have allergies okay. so if you have an allergy to local pollen because the bees collect the pollen in your area if you're taking the honey of local bees it helps the, that, it, that, particular, that particular it, uh, allergy as such. It helps your immune system yeah. to get used to the pollen that's in your lo- okay. locality. So, you know, and generally people are looking for local honey yeah. all the time. So, oh, yeah, there's nothing like it. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly. Because yeah. uh, a lot of the imported honey is, is mixed of, you know, it comes come, come, come from any country, even does, outside Europe. And, and, and within the jar, it's coming from a few places. And if you check it sometimes, you will see EU and non-EU yeah, exactly. countries. And they, you don't actually exactly know. It could be from anywhere. It could be from Africa. Yeah. It could be they, from they anywhere. They don't specify no, they don't. Where, what countries it comes no, they from don't. at all. It's just one region and another. A exactly. Mixture, yeah. and, and what happens is they blend the honey then. They just mix mm. all the honey together where getting it locally, you're, you're getting the local pollen. So anybody with allergies, anybody's in, interested in beekeeping in general, um, just an interest or if you have bees yourself, Mm. pop down today um, the guys are going to be there from 11 o'clock and tomorrow from 12 right through to 6 o'clock and it's a free day so just come Sounds along pop in yeah uh, go early because we do expect the last time we had the guys in mm. they were inundated with uh, with um, people dropping in so do call along the other thing we have going on in the garden centres today in Turlock again in uh, Sligo and in Galway is a cottage garden weekend so we're showing and featuring the lovely cottage garden plants. Many of them are coming into bloom at mm. the moment. The lupins are just beginning to produce their flower buds. The dicentra, the bleeding heart has been in flower. There's lots of those old cottage garden plants, foxgloves, uh, you know, all the ones that you remember from your childhood. From my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if you're interested in cottage garden plants, and I suppose there's a tie in there with the bees as yeah. well, because well, generally bees I th- love... I think uh, cottage garden plants, uh, and it's indicative from the questions that we have been receiving maybe over the past number of weeks, there's a huge interest in that particular kind of planting and those particular kind of gardens. So um, probably timely as well on that front Absolutely, for people yeah. to go along and have a look. And the fact that they flower year after year, like the peony roses, like the lupins, delphiniums, aconitums, there's a huge range and wealth of, of um, perennial plants or cottage garden plants. Once planted, they tend to form larger clumps, so they're, they're actually multiplying themselves. Mm. Uh, but more importantly, they come every year after that, and they're quite easy to grow. And there's great tie-in there with the, with the Bee Association as well. So, Cottage Garden Weekend, we have a talk at 230 on cottage garden plants in each of the centres. So just drop in. There's an organised talk there. But also the guys are going to be there all day if you want to just drop in at any time, talk about bees or talk about cottage garden plants in general. 
Okay, so, so there are two I, key, key I'm things. I'm sensing a very summer-like So with the wet weather, yes. if you're not in the garden, pop down to the pop garden centres and, and spend get, an hour learning. And get some ideas for Get next some week. ideas, exactly. Yeah, when the sun exactly. does shine. There'll be a buzz around. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to comment. Right, go right we, this we is the have, best I can do. <laughs> <laughs> we have lots of questions already. Uh, right. But if you do have a question for Porik this morning, whether it's on bees, cottage gardens, or indeed anything else. Uh, well, from I'm not the, the expert on bees now. Well, we'll, you'll be able <laughs> I'm to, still an you'll amateur, be able to very much so. On. Able, yes, I'll pass it on. It on. Uh, the text number this morning, as always, 087-900-4141, with thanks to C and C Cellular. We're switching your landlines to Vodafone as easy at any of their nine stores across the region. Or you can call us either. We'll keep Teresa busy for the next uh, 45 minutes or so on 0818-3055. And uh, the email address, either if you ever feel like dropping us a line during the week or maybe you've got photographs that you want to send us in with questions attached, uh, you can email garden at midwestradio.ie. Now we're going to take a quick little break and then we're going to come to some of those questions directly after these. Very welcome back. There's a whole host of questions uh, for you, Porik. We're going to start, I suppose this is maybe, well, cottage garden, not quite, but wildflower garden. And uh, you helped somebody with a wildflower garden last year. Okay. Now, they've gone away for a couple of weeks this year and they've come back and they found the garden is full of a weed that has covered the whole ground um, where the shrubs and plants are. This weed sticks to your gloves. They're wondering oh, yeah. what it is and how do you get rid of it? Well, that's that's uh, cleavers. Mm. Cleavers weed, which is very, very fast growing. Um, and, and I suppose weeds in general, we were talking about that last week that they're just lipping really out of the yeah, ground but cleavers is a very fast growing weed it tends to ramble and spread over plants so up through shrubs it can be quite annoying um, and and you'll find that to, to get rid of it uh, you use um, the 360 weed killer you just need to be careful that you apply it onto the cleavers and not on to uh, your ornamental plants. So what I would do is if plants are close by, cleavers too tends to have a, a quite a, a surface rooting structure. So with a good hoe you'll hoe a lot of the weeds, particularly those close to and in around the shrubs. Okay. Hoe them out first of all or hand weed around there. And then if in if you have larger patches of bare ground with cleavers on it, use the 360 weed killer in dry weather. So maybe tomorrow or Monday or Tuesday will be an ideal time to get it on. Um, and the 360 will kill cleavers within seven or eight days. So it's just, look at it, it's that time of year with mm. weeds in general and I would advise people just to get out, um, not so much today, but in particularly in sunny weather, the hoe works extremely well. The weed, once you scuffle them, they dry up instantly and, you know, it's a great way, particularly this time of year, before they get ahead, before they get too strong. So that's cleavers. Your kids will love it, you know, it's the one that sticks to your clothes and sticks yes. to your... I was thinking they were called burrs, but... That's uh, the little, uh, is that the little, the little seed bally, heads that they yeah, produce? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They produce yeah. those little seed heads yeah. as well. But even the foliage will stick to you as well. And that's the way it propagates itself. Okay, you're dragging so it you're on, dragging that, it yeah, and the seeds and all along, yeah. So that's cleavers, very fast growing. This time of year, you'll find the 360 effect, but be sure that doesn't get on to Do the foliage of your plants. So if it drips onto the soil around them, that's perfectly okay because it's, it's neutralised mm. once it touches the soil, as long as you keep it off the foliage of the weeds. If you've got cleavers growing up through a particularly nice shrub, you could use the Roundup gel, you know, the hair gel yes. type material on on the leaf. But look at you'll you'll hold them out or pull them out quite easily. They'll come quite easily from the ground. Okay, I imagine when you come back after, uh, you know, when you're away for exactly. whether it's a week or two, you can really see, see the changes how something yeah. has taken over all of a sudden. Exactly, particularly okay. in the last three weeks. Well, hopefully that gets that garden back into shape. Now, another listener has earwigs, a lot of earwigs in the garden at the moment. How do we get rid of them or what, well, how earwigs, do we deal with earwigs? Earwigs, funny enough, are a, um, they can be destructive on, on, um, 
on things like chrysanthemums and dahlias and particularly summer flowering plants, clematis, for example, mm. you'll see little holes. Uh, they eat the, in the, they, when the clematis flower or the dahlia flower is in bud, they start to eat the actual petals. And then when the flower opens, you get those very large holes and, and kind of a distorted, very similar to kind of slug damage on leaves. Uh, earwigs will eat the flowers of plants. So they tend to be more of a problem uh, early summer, midsummer, kind of late summer period. Mm. Um, this time of year, they'll eat things like pansies, violas, um, you know, early flowering plants. But to be honest, they also eat a lot of aphids and green fly. So they're both beneficial. Beneficial. So where yeah. do you sit like? Okay. Where do you sit on them? I mean, they're not really seen as a very, uh, they can be annoying, particularly if you've got prized dahlias, if, you, if you've got a nice row of chrysanthemums nice. or uh, clematis. And, and where damage occurs there, yeah by all means you could put something like protective sea on them but to be honest they don't really do a lot of damage air weeks they do more beneficial particularly this time of year as the aphids are starting coming out like our friend the ladybird they'll start to hoover them up Okay, so really it depends on what kind of plants you have in your well, garden. Well, that's and true. What you want if to it's protect. exactly, if it's traditional trees and shrubs and hardy stuff, yeah. then I would leave them alone. They're right. they're actually doing you a favor. Uh, if they're if it's more um, ornamental type stuff like dahlias and chrysanthemums and clematis and roses and so on, then they can be a little destructive. An old trick was to um, when I was in the botanic gardens, what we used to do uh, through the dahlia plants yeah. was to put a bamboo cane. Uh, put a, an old pot, a, a, an ordinary plastic pot with a bit of straw in it, upside down on top of the bamboo cane. And earwigs are nocturnal, they come out at night time. So during the day, the hide in the pot. Right. So it's a very simple way then of just taking the pot, dumping out the Ear, straw right. and earwigs and all, you can get rid of. Okay, so you're kind, so they'll of, hide you're in kind that, of capturing them. You're capturing them, it's a trap for them. Right. So they'll hide there during the day, they come out during dusk and evening time and that gets rid of them. Or if you're putting on the protective sea, apply it in the, in the, in the evening period around 7, 8 o'clock. That's when they're most active. But to be honest, they're more beneficial, I think, than, than, than destructive. Right. Yeah. Okay. I think people get frightened of the, you know, the little two tails of the I think they just look a bit, yeah. Don't they? Yeah, and I, I suppose have a fear that they'd be in your ear when That's I That's what most people say. Yeah, I don't know. Have I'm, you met anyone that No, that I don't think I actually to. have, not to be perfectly honest. <laughs> right, go. we have a question regarding rhododendrons. Yeah. And uh, a listener is wondering, is it possible to get small rhododendrons? They love the wild types that are flowering oh, yeah. in North Mayo, but there are, they're wondering, are there some suitable for a smaller garden? There are indeed, and actually the rhododendrons Traditionally, they're in flower at this time of year. They're mm. a bit late, bit late um, this season. But yeah, there are dwarf varieties. Um, the if you want one with a similar type flower to the rhododendron pontigum, which is the wild one, there's one called Caroline, Caroline Albrook, which is a purple, very deep purple flower. It'll grow about two to three feet in height, and. Um, lovely big bunches of flowers it's actually coming into flower now as we speak uh, a lovely deep blue one another nice one called golden torch which is more orange it's kind of a pinky orange a really nice one as well big bell shaped flowers they're in the yakshimani family japanese impressed japanese uh, they're japanese rhododendrons so they're bred for color really yeah. intense color but they're very short as well they're more compact so they're lovely in pots or out in a, in a shrub border where you want to rhododendron that'll only grow to about two or three feet and high then, so they're not going to take over as such they're not going to take over because they can over. take over well, the, the rhododendron pontigum is a weed yeah. Yeah, is no. a weed now yeah. it, it spreads by seed it spreads by underground stems it, it just you know it has devastated forests around Achill and Mulrani and down on there it can be a very invasive plant mm. um, now you need acid soil 
So when growing them in pots, get yourself some ericaceous compost and also some ericaceous slow-release fertilizer. Mix the two together, put them in. It's a good time to go into the garden centres to have a look at them because they're just coming into flower. There's lots of other ones, bad and bad, and there's another one called shamrock, which is a very short variety with yellow flowers. Just... it's actually just gone out of flower. It's a really early flowering one. So there's lots of really good varieties. Go to your local gardens and there'll be lots of them available. Look, look, for, look for those Japanese dwarf azaleas, the Yakshimane, Yakshimane. varieties, and um, they're, they're quite nice. Okay. They're, they're, really, they're very similar to the wild, but a lot more well-behaved, right. more compact. And more manageable. Yeah, and nice colour range in them as well. Good time to plant them. Lots of options there, so yeah. for the small garden. Now, a listener is worried about gooseberries. Uh, last summer, all of the leaves were eaten before the fruit was picked, and they're not sure what happened. They want to prevent this happening again this summer, if possible. Yeah, well, gooseberries are actually covered. They're covered in, in fruit at the moment. It's been a great season for uh, gooseberry flowering and, and also blackcurrants, lots of fruit on them. The, what the listener is talking about is a little pest called gooseberry sawfly, which generally comes out at the end of May, early June. It's a small caterpillar um, that... It starts in kind of the inside of the gooseberry brush. You don't know you don't notice it until the damage is kind of nearly Done. completely out to right. the edges. So um again, it's very traditional at this time of year. Just keep an eye out for it. You can simply just examine the centre of the, the plants and if you see any of that kind of typical caterpillar damage on the foliage, you can use a um bug clear. There's one specifically for fruit and veg, which is safe to use. For uh, So bug clear, fruit and veg. You can, if you want, as a precaution, because you had it last year, what happens with sawfly is that the larvae come out and feed on the plant, which causes the damage. They pupate into adults, lay eggs at the base of the gooseberries, and hey presto, the cycle starts again next spring. So why I'm saying that is that if you had them last year, mm. you can be guaranteed you're going to have them this, this year. year right. So for this listener, just as a precaution, you could give the gooseberry plants, a light spray of bug clear fruit and veg um, and do it now, do it again in about two weeks time and that should see it, that should see it off, shouldn't be a problem. But just keep an eye on it, if you do notice any damage, that's what it is, it's easy uh, eradicated. It actually doesn't do a tremendous amount of damage, it doesn't damage the fruit Right. and to be honest gooseberries are so vigorous that that's it doesn't really, unless it's awful bad, it looks more unsightly. I mean the whole bush is skeletonized. Right. I mean they'll devour all the leaves off the plant so in July the plant is like it is in winter. Okay. You know, it can be that destructive. Are the leaves not really needed then? Well, they they are, they are, but I mean, gooseberries is such a tough, (laughs) it's as tough as old books. It's it's to fight back. Yeah, the old salt fly isn't going to, you know, kill it. Uh, You know, it's not going to be that. Now, if it happened year after year, yes, Yes. of course, you're weakening the plant. Mm. But one year with with the leaves gone off it isn't going to I mean the plants the listener has probably if they're looking out at them they're full of leaves they're full of berries they're probably as healthy as as can be and uh, so so it won't right so what am I saying well <laughs> be mine treat, treat, treat them but don't be wor- too yeah, worried don't, but don't be, don't too, be worried. too worried if if you see some damage yes you can get rid of it by putting on something like bug clear fruit and veg okay Japanese knotweed. Uh, yeah. Somebody's got a patch of it growing on a grass verge at the edge of the garden. It's about three foot tall now it and is. they've been told it'll spread. And is this true? It is. What's Japanese knotweed for Japanese those of us who don't know? Japanese knotweed is, uh, well, it, it's actually quite well named. Um, it originated from Asia, from China, Korea, uh, Japan itself. Um, it's it's The stems are very like bamboo. And if you see it, you'll see it. It's it's actually quite distinctive because the stems at this time of year are pink in colour, okay. pinky orangey colour. And it is a weed. Oh, it's, and it's a very invasive weed. Right. I mean, it. You know, we were talking about rhododendron ponticum there a couple of minutes ago. Yes. This is this is very invasive. If you've got it, get rid of it. 
is my advice because it it spreads by underground stems okay. so it continually um, you'll see it along roadways waterways uh, if it gets into the garden it'll spread through your lawn it'll come up through Tarmacadam um, okay, right. Right, and it's it's actually quite difficult to get, and it, and it's very vigorous. So it's a, it's a herbaceous plant. So it dies to nothing in the winter. There's absolutely no visibility in the winter. This time of year, it's already, as the listener three says, three, yeah, three, and often four foot high at this time of year. Mm. Um, so it's very fast growing, and we'll grow anything up to seven, eight feet. So if you've got the plant in the garden, you'll certainly know you have it. Okay. Um, now the only thing that that's and the stems are hollow. So if you cut the stems, they're like a bamboo, they're hollow. <clears throat> and the little n- knots are nodules on the stem. Yes. So you've got, you know, so you, you, it's very distinctive. You know if you have it. Um, how to get rid of it. Yes. The only thing that I find effective with it is, um, is Roundup. And Roundup, you need to make it the stronger Roundup by active Roundup. Um, and to be honest, the best way to get rid of it is to cut the stems and pour the Roundup liquid it's into the stem. So it's gone down into Correct, because it, it has a whole set of rhizomes at the bottom of underneath the ground that are all interconnected. So you don't have to spray every or, or pour it down every stem. Yeah. But if you do, maybe one in five, okay. that'll bring it down into the root structure and kill it off. So you can try spraying it onto the foliage, but it is more effective if you can inject it into the actual stem itself. But it is a very invasive plant. I think it's on the list of... Um, what do they call them, uh, you know, um, invasive species. Species. Yeah, I think it's on the list. Uh, Certainly a plant to get rid of and and it is quite common. Now, it's also a great plant for bees. Okay. You know what I mean? Where do you go? So there's always a bit of benefit somewhere along the line. It flowers, white flowers, it flowers kind of from the end of June often up to November. Really? In flower. Um, so it's got a huge flowering period and lots and lots of bloom on it. So, but it, unfortunately, in a garden situation, it's it's not what you want. You want to get rid of it because it is very destructive and, ver- and spreads very rapidly. Okay, from and a small it, clump. it'll take over from everything. It else. will, to be honest. Right. And if, and when once it gets up through shrubs and into your beds, it's very hard to get to eradicate it. It is difficult. And when I'm saying do the roundup, that's not you're going to find you'll probably have to spend the next two or three years actually keeping on top of it to okay. eradicate it. Right. Okay. Sounds like a tough one. Yeah, it's it's kind of in that family of you know the gunnera is another one that's that's uh, you know again in North Mayo in particular the gunnera manicata the wild rhubarb right. the rhododendron oh. pontigum and this Japanese knotweed in particular. Right. Funny enough, I think it was brought originally into Europe as a a fodder as a oh right you know as a way similar, of feeding. Yeah, I'd I'd say they looked because of its vigor and because it's perennial because it comes back year after year mm-hmm. and because it'll grow anywhere. And is it edible by animals? Not really. I think it is. Okay. Yeah, I think it's not poisonous. Certainly, yeah. it's not poisonous. Um, but uh, but with the level of energy and the level of you know how good it is, yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. But that's um, from memory. That's how it was brought from Asia into Europe, and and of course, like again, all those invasive species escaped. escaped yeah. And off it goes. Because the rhododendron was brought in, I think, yeah, like that same, as well. Somebody brought thing. it in for their garden. It's same with the gunra. Yeah. Same with the gunra. Mm. Um, so it is one I would certainly ad- advise the listener to get rid of. Persist with it, and now it would be a good time to actually start. Uh, putting on some of the Roundup Bioactive mix. Mix it with water, about 50-50 and pour it onto the, into the stem. Remember that if that Bioactive now gets onto your lawn or gets onto... It's going to kill anything it is, else. It is, it'll yeah. kill anything you touch. The other thing you could try would be the with the Roundup gel, but I think the Bioactive would be 
better. Because you need to get down into, down the, into the root system yeah, okay. and get rid of it. Digging won't really get it, unless it's a very small clump, because right. any little bit of root that's left behind, it, it comes back, back up again. Okay, and another toughie that presents itself occasionally is the mare's oh, tail. Oh, back again, yeah, yeah it's popping up. Somebody's got lots of new shoots on a mare's tail with growing up through shrub beds, also on gravel walkways. Right. They're again, they're wondering, will the regular roundup kill it? No, no. no. Okay. Uh, mare's tail has silica in the stem. It's, if, you, if you crush it or, or even touch it, it's quite it's like sandpaper so Roundup has a difficulty penetrating down into the into the leaf of, of um, mare's tail really you want to use uh, something like a root stump treatment so you can buy a, a treatment called root stump mix that with water apply it onto the mare's tail mare's tail at the moment is about three or four inches high so okay. it just has come through the ground um, and, and now would be a good time to get rid of it to apply it's it still kind of tender it is, yeah. And you, the other thing you find effective on it, or I find effective on it, are a lot of the long weed killer treatments like um, Dicoflower or the dandelion and daisy long weed killer that we've, we featured before for killing the daisies mm-hmm. and dandelions. You'll find that effective on a mare's tail as well. But obviously, again, be careful that it doesn't get onto neighbouring shrubs or whatever. But yeah, it's now would be a good time to keep an eye on mare's tail because it's only... It's really coming to the fore. May, from May onwards, you'll see it. Okay. And so again, it spreads by underground stems, so it's one you want to keep on top of. Okay, but not round up on this occasion. No, regular round up, you won't find it effective. Forest flame that was covered in orange and pink shoots. So They're lovely at the, the moment, new growth, yeah. though, is a little brown. All right. And it looks burnt. Uh, should this happen to the plants? They're, they are mature plants. Yeah, well, it's just down to the, the kind of cold winds. I mean, the young, what you're seeing on the the forest flame is the lovely new growth mm. that has come on over the last and they're lovely everywhere as I actually admiring one coming up this morning um, but yeah like cold winds the, the young leaf of course is very sensitive it's very soft and frost at night time or cold wind northerly winds or easterly winds would, would scorch them depending on how bad the scorching if, it, if there's a lot of browning on the t- tips of the shoots just cut the with a shears just trim off all that damaged growth give it a feed and it'll actually come into growth again so that the pink shoots will come back uh, on the forest flame it's often a good tip with forest flame as the colours beginning to go over in, in early June mm. if you trim the plant back the, pl- the plant is, is, is like pruning anything it initiates new growth and so you get a second flush of lovely of pink stem. So if the frost has nipped it back or the wind and if it's, you know, quite a bit of damage on them, my advice is just to get your shears out, pruners, yeah. whatever, trim it all back, you know, just take six or seven inches off it, give it a feed of something like the, the Pro 6, the Osmo Pro 6 or a or a, um, a rhododendron feed would be good on forest flame and you'll get lots of fresh growth coming on it. And it's often a good thing to do on forest flame anyway around the end of May, the first week of June because you get that second flush of colour. Okay, and you get the, the nice bushiness. Love it, yeah, yeah you, get, you get exactly, the plant itself mm. will bush out but you'll also get that second flush of pink colour. Okay. Lamb's lettuce. Yes. Now, somebody tells us they buy a lot of lamb's lettuce salad plants from okay. their local supermarket and they're wondering, can they sow the seed for themselves? Um, and do they grow it indoors or outdoors um, or in the garden? And also, they also want to know about basil. Okay, how so, to grow basil. So how do we grow lamb's lettuce and how do Well, we lamb's grow lettuce, first of all, it, it, funny enough, it's a, it's a plant, um, corn salad is another co- common name for it because it used to grow wild in cornfields oh. as a weed. As a weed. It is a bit have weedy. You, it is a bit weedy looking. looking, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I use it, do you? Do you? I have, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's nice. Yeah, it is nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, very easy to grow. Um, the, the the funny thing about it is that it's actually winter tolerant. It's it'll grow through the winter period. Mm. So it's the type of plant. It, it's not related to lettuce. Um, 
it's oh, you know it's not in that it's called lamb's lettuce yeah right. and, and I suppose people use it as a substitute yeah. to lettuce Thompson and Morgan do two varieties from, mem- from memory um, one that's a kind of a continental mix and I think it's, 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 it's something continental I think is the name that's on the packet but they've got browns and different coloured leaves in them not just the traditional green one and there's a green variety as well mm. that Thompson and Morgan do the seed is you can sow it directly out of doors so you can sow the seed uh, at this time of year. But the trick with it really is to sow it little and often, like I suppose I say with many vegetables, mm-hmm. but particularly with corn salad or lamb's lettuce, it'll grow through the winter period. It grows in very cool temperatures. Um, so it's not going to stop growing. Right. So, so a winter like... here then. Exactly. A winter like we've had, it'll actually continue to grow. So it's this type of plant that you can sow right through from now, sow the seed right through to September um, and if you've got a greenhouse or tunnel, you can actually grow it in there all year round. Mm-hmm. Um, very easy to grow. It grows. It tends to grow slowly, so you do need to sow quite a bit of it. Right. Uh, so it's not like you know. I normally advise yeah. with lettuce, ordinary lettuce, sow li- little and often. Mm. With this, you low sow lots enough. Okay, right. <laughs> right. So you need quite a bit of it to to uh, because it does grow slowly. But yeah, well worth growing and a, and a nice substitute to. Uh, to regular lettuce, it freezes very well. Oh, right. So it'll hold, it'll hold through it'll the... Hold through. Yeah. So you're not, yeah. nice yeah, the, the leaf is a little bit tougher, I suppose, a little bit waxier than normal lettuce. Mm. Would you just... Would you yes, it is, concur? yeah. It has that bit mm. of crunch to yeah, it. Egg crunch yeah. is the word. Yeah, yeah. it's that more nutty, I suppose, yeah. Than, yeah, that, that, than regular. That, than the soft yeah, so stuff, that's, yeah. it's corn salad or, or uh, lamb's lettuce um, and it's available under the Thompson and Morgan the seed. You'll, you'll get it. And there's in a pack of seed there's hundreds of okay, seed so in it so, so one pack is yeah maybe buy one pack of each and you'll have enough for the whole season and what about basil oh yeah basil well basil first of all is um, frost sensitive mm-hmm. it's also wind sensitive so mm-hmm. it's the type of plant that needs to be grown indoors yeah. again you can sow it from seed it germinates very quickly I would simply grow it in a in a regular uh, flower pot uh, good drain good nice compost that has plenty of drainage in it so a little bit of perlite in, t- in the compost right. and free draining sow the seeds on the top of the surface again just cover with cling film cover with a little bit of compost cover with cling film let them germinate they germinate in, within a week and grow them on your windowsill and and the trick with ballas is, is to use use it, use it. Yeah, keep picking it and sow fresh seed three or four weeks later. Again, from memory, I think Thompson and Morgan have a red leaf variety mm. of basil this year. It's kind of a purpley oh, red leaf, which would be something different. Yeah, uh, I can't think of the name of it, that, but it's probably something okay. ruby or. But you'll see it in the Thompson and Morgan range. So they do the regular green. Yeah, and they do the and this again within the green. There's probably six or seven different varieties. And there's this lovely new one. It's a purpley, a bit like the uh, purple lettuce, you know, that kind yes. of oak leaf lettuce, yes. that kind of reddish colour. They do a, um, a basil variety. So again, if you've got a greenhouse tunnel or indoors in the kitchen window, that's where to grow basil. It's it's too uh, cold outside really for it. Yeah, because I think a lot of people in Ireland particularly find basil a bit of a challenge. Yeah. yeah. Well, you you see, a lot of them are buying it probably at, in the supermarkets as, yeah. as a... As it's where it's partially grown Yeah, already. and th- that has been brought on in a greenhouse with the perfect mm. temperature, the perfect yes. light conditions. And basil is that little bit sensitive. I mean, you know... So if it's not in those perfect conditions when you bring it home, uh, exactly. you either lo- use it or lose it. Lose it whereas you're better to yeah. sow the seed yourself right. because it acclimatizes to your, your own, own light levels. Exactly. And you find it's very, very easy to grow, to be and, honest. Uh, just when you say, you know, sow a bit and it comes on and then you kind of need to sow another bit, can you put those seeds back into the same pot or would you need to have no, I would, pots well, go on the go? Or? Yeah, I'd, you know, have two or three pots okay. on the go, yeah. ideally. Yeah. Now, once the first pot is used, you just chuck out the 
the, the basil and the compost, put in fresh compost and start it again. Or do them in seed yeah. trays, any sort of container that's got drainage, good drainage. And the compost is important. The basil dislikes too much uh, heavy, wet soil. So right. don't grow it in ordinary garden soil. Use a good compost. compost. Something like the John Ennis would be very good because it's very free draining. But it's well worth growing and it's very fast growing. Very, very fast. Okay. So sow a seed now, you'll be cutting it the first or second week of June. Lovely. We're going to take a quick little break. Uh, lots of stuff covered there, but there's still lots more to come, so stay with us. <laughs> now, <laughs> you're very welcome back. We have a bit of everything and anything going on. I better backtrack here now, Borek, to make sure that we have, uh, we're not missing anybody. Right, let's talk maybe about strawberries. Okay. Great time here. Uh, somebody's got a, a couple of questions about strawberries. First of all, somebody's got strawberries in pots. They'd like to plant them in pots. Do they need more space than just a pot? And also somebody else has strawberries and the leaves are dying back on them. Okay, well, let's deal with the dying back, first of all, because okay. they shouldn't be. They should be in full glory at the moment. There should be lots of new growth on them. Um, one thing to check for with, with strawberries, uh, vine weevil can attack them, which is a small white little grub that eats mm-hmm. the leaves of them. And once when the, when that uh, particular grub attacks the, the, the roots of strawberries, they tend to look very sickly, yellow leaves, stunted growth, just the, the plant will look very unhappy. Uh, if you tip them out of the pot or just lift them out of the soil, you'll see the little grubs around the base of them. And if they're present, then use something like the Super Nemos to, to get rid of them. That You'll find them effective on vine weevil. Um, you know, the second thing that strawberries dislike is very wet soil. They like to be in a, a you know, better if you're planting them out into the soil, put them on a mound uh, of, of soil, you know, keep them up off the wetness. Um, and, you know, we've had a reasonable amount of that. We've had a bit. Um, the other way to grow strawberries, you can grow them, they, I mean, the plants themselves, people often think they grow in bushes, and, mm. and you know, they're, but they're, they're actually quite small. And they'll only need hanging baskets, window boxes. Uh, you can grow them in grow bags. You can grow what about them the pots there? In about, pots, yeah. absolutely. As long as the pots have good drainage. Use a good quality compost again, something like the John Innes, mm. a good draining compost. And in a typical window box, say a three-foot window box, mm. you'll fit six or seven plants comfortably. Pack them in. Stick them up in your windowsill. Keep them watered. Don't feed them too much because if you feed strawberries, particularly at this time of year, mm. you get masses of leaves and okay. very little flowering right. fruit. Right. So keep them hungry until the fruit starts to form. And when you see the fruit forming, feed. then feed with something okay. like liquid one or a tomato feed. So don't don't be nursing them on too much. All they need at this time of year is water. Um, when they're coming into flower and they're coming into flower now over the next couple of weeks, they need the bees. So you need to, if you have them in your glass house or tunnel or whatever, you need to open up the windows, open up the doors or bring the plants outside and let the bees at them. Otherwise you get square fruit. Do you ever see them in the shops? Oh, Strawberry. Right, yeah. Square and kind of rectangular shapes, yes. not the typical not heart the, shape. Not the heart shape. Yeah, that's the where points. the flower hasn't been pollinated properly. And that's a great sign to know that the strawberries were grown in a greenhouse or a tunnel or somewhere. Ah, ah there, there's a little tip for you now. Well, that is a tip. <laughs> Something new. So if we see strawberries that are nice and traditional, what we think is as the strawberry the shape. The proper shape. The kind of, the, the you know, yeah. The, yeah, the heart shape. Yeah. Then, the, then there are lots of bees involved The bees have been there. pollinated. Right. They probably have been growing out of out of doors would be a good indication yes. or they've certainly been pollinated naturally. How interesting. But where you get a square, a square Fruit or a, yeah, a rectangular fruit. That's a sign that the, it hasn't been pollinated by insects. It's been just, you know, it either has pollinated itself, which sometimes mm. they do, but, but the bees will actually go in and bumblebees in particular are very effective on mm. strawberries, but bees in general are, are very effective on them. Anyway, to grow them, pots are perfectly okay. John Innes compost, don't feed them until you see the fruit forming. And generally you'll get about three to four years out of strawberries. After that, you need to dump them out and get and some fresh more, plants. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, they tend and to get are, exhausted. Am I right? Is, is there such a thing? There's a strawberry pot you can get, is there? Or am I... Yeah, you can get, yeah. Special kinds of strawberry pots, are there? Well, it's like a herb pot or a strawberry yeah. pot, which is basically a tall pot with holes, with holes on the, the sides. Side, yeah. yeah. Um, and again, that's how versatile right. the strawberry plants are. You can stick them into those if you wish. Um, and and there is a, there is a strawberry tree, believe it or not. Is there? Arbutus, you need a beautiful tree, but it's, it's not... Does it produce fruit? It does. Okay. But the fruit... You wouldn't be. You wouldn't see them at well. You won't see them at Wellington anyway right, with sorry, the ice okay. cream. Okay. They're tiny little fruitlets. Okay. It's actually a native plant to um, Killarney, in oh. Killarney, and it's actually a beautiful tree. It's a really nice tree. Uh, again, from just memory of the botanic gardens, there they have quite mature plants there, and the bark is very spectacular. Uh, it's an evergreen plant, lovely little bell-shaped flowers, and small reddish fruit. They're very very small. And um, is it hard to grow? No, it's it's not, but it needs a kind of a and it needs not a kind of it needs an acid soil. Right. Uh, okay. So if you're in a peaty area, yeah. Arbutus you need or the strawberry tree. Sounds uh, lovely. But sometimes people mix it up and think, well, you know, they plant the tree and they're not getting the they're fruit. They're expecting that the, big yeah, fruit. Yeah, so the two completely Probably different plants. Probably bigger fruit because it's a tree. Yeah, it's yeah. more. It's a nice decorative tree. If you wanted okay. something different yes. in the garden, yeah. no. something unusual, okay. um, it's a it's a lovely yeah. plant. There you go, strawberry tree. Strawberry tree, arbutus, you need to think of that. If you feel like a challenge. Um, the Nantes carrots, somebody early has Nantes, sown yeah, early yeah. Nantes carrots in plug trays. They're about four inches high with the fernery leaves showing. And right. they're, they're wondering, are they okay to plant outside now? And should they split the clumps? Yeah, well, it's a good time to actually plant. Like carrots generally are very sensitive mm. um, to temperatures. But once you've got them germinating at this size, the great plant them out of doors now. Um, kind of teasing obviously that the listener has sown a kind of clump of seed together mm. teasing them apart sometimes can do a little bit of damage so I would nearly be inclined to leave the clumps together now what they'll form is small baby carrots because you've kept them sown them quite tightly together they won't form as the traditional large carrots so they'll probably grow to about four well maybe five six inches in length and probably a little bit thicker than finger thickness. Right. Um, and But you'll fi- have nice young clumps. Car- the type of carrots that you don't need to peel. Top and tail and you boil and them straight away. Yeah, so they'll actually make lovely clumps of those early uh, carrots. If you want the large ones, obviously you're going to have to sow the seed, um, spread the seed out mm. a lot more or divide up the clumps. But the trouble with dividing the clumps is that they can, you can do some root damage, damage on them. Right. So I would, I, so I would plant them as plant a clump them. and use them then as young carrots in okay. July. So you have nice sweet little exactly. carrots. Yeah, exactly, yummy. yeah. And um, what's the best for, what is the best to grow up at 10 foot tree? Somebody wants a climber. So is it a climber or a rambling rose? Well, the, well uh, And would you have a suggestion of a name or two, please? Okay. Well, first of all, rambling roses are generally better for lower structures, arches, uh, fences, that type of thing, because the stems tend to be very weak and thin and you know obviously if it's going vertical you want a stronger stem mm. so I would I would aim on the side of climbers right. climbing roses and I would go for a very vigorous one is one called Albertine I think I talked about it last week it'll certainly put on about six feet of growth per year it's got dark foliage which is quite attractive and very big blousy pink flowers and oh, right. um, n- even though the books tell you it's scented, it's not really. It, there's a very slight scent from it. But okay, it's but a, it's good colourful. It's a great colourful, yeah. vigorous variety. It'll certainly grow 10 feet comfortably and the stems are quite thick. So it ten, it'll be quite um, upright on the on the tree or, or whatever the listener wants to cover. So that so that's a good one. There are plenty of other climbers like um, James Galway, Bantry Bay, Dance to Few. Lots of really golden showers, a nice yellow. Swan Lake is a white 
Um, go to your lo- local garden centre, ask them for a good vigorous climbing rose. It's a great time to plant them. Make sure you prepare the soil well. Is it a, it's at the base with trees? Is that what they said? Yeah, they'd like to p- kind of plant, plant it so that it's coming up the, 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 the yeah. The, yeah. The, the, so, the and remember the at the base of, of a mature tree that the soil is going to be uh, full of roots. Uh, it'll be, a lot of the nutrition will have gone mm. out of it so do prepare the soil very well. Another plant I'd recommend you get mm. is a, a plant called um, the flame creeper. It's tropolinium Tropolinium speciosum is the, is the red one but look for the, cr- the flame creeper. It's actually in the nasturtium flam- family but it's a perennial plant uh, which means it, 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 it flowers every year but it, it's herbaceous, it dies down to nothing and then scrambles up and it'll grow certainly 10 feet a year but beautiful uh, red, small red flowers uh, from about the middle of June right through till November. So that's uh, the Scottish flame creeper is the but the common name right. for it or tropolinium. Um, can be difficult to get in, in garden centres, but do ask for it and and worth waiting for. If, right. if the can garden be ordered, of course. Yeah, you, you can. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm 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 probably I'm thinking out loud here. Do mm. we have it actually in stock? But if we don't. We'll certainly will have it in. I have it in my own garden up through a, a big hedge mm. and it's the sort of plant you don't have to worry about. It actually dies away to nothing in the winter and hey Presto, I was actually only looking at it. That's why it comes, it comes yeah. to my mind. I was looking at it during the week. It's about four feet at the moment right. but certainly by July, August it comes into flower and there's a vivid red, scarlet red flower on it. Um, so that's Tropolinium speciosum. There is an, a, an orange version of it as well which is quite nice and it would be lovely to mix with the rose. The two together is what I would do. Sounds lovely. Yeah. 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 Okay. So there's so two for you. it's kind of self-maintaining. It is really, one. yeah. And and um, because it's in the nasturtium family, people know how easy nasturtiums are to grow. And this thing is equally, just once you've planted it, you it just forget about it. Okay, leave and it And off it goes, yeah. yeah. Great. Somebody was, tell- was travelling through Partree Village during the weekend. Lovely. And they saw a purple-coloured tree in the grounds of the church. And they're wondering, would anyone know the name of it? Have you ever noticed going through Partree, the lovely beds that are on either side of the village on the way in uh, from the Castlebar side. I have to say, I, I'm not that familiar with Partry, but what? I must take a spin. Taking mm. a visit down. Um, there's a lady there that maintains the roadway either side with, with a lot of actually the cottage garden plants and it's absolutely, it's beautiful. very well maintained but it's beautiful, particularly from, even now, but it, but particularly in midsummer autumn period. You know, lots of dahlias, lots of the lupins, delphiniums, Absolutely beautiful. Okay. Um, well, if, so, that, if that lady happens to be listening, and she might know, know the name of the, of the tree well, that we're talking about, but I'm sure there are a few options. That there are a few be. options. It could be um, purple leaf tree. So, what are we thinking of? Acer century is one, which is in the maple family. And mm. if the leaf is quite large, about the size of your hand, deep purple, that's Acer century or Acer crimson king. So, they're in the maple family. Lovely purple foliage from now right through to November. Um, very easy tree to grow. It doesn't flower, but it's grown for its foliage colour. You've also got um, the prunus, Prunus um, Pissardia nigra, but the purple leaf plum is the common Ooh. name for it. So, like the name suggests, it's got purple deep purple leaves, mm. the colour of dillisk. And the leaf is smaller than the maple. So it's 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 uh, about, what, about two inches long, about two inches wide. Dark purple foliage with a pink flower. And the other plant it could be is one of the malus family. Right. And there are many different varieties of them, but many of them have dark red fe- foliage, again, like the purple plum, and pink flowers, kind of a whitey pinkish flower. So there are three options. So if you're looking for, for me, if you're looking for a really good, dark purple leafed tree I would go for Acer Century really good not, not too big it grows to about 12 maybe 15 feet lollipop shape mm. big 
round head on it with dark purple foliage from now right through to November and it's a very hardy tree as well very easy to grow and often nice if you mix it with one of the variegated maples like Acer Drummondii which has got a yellow and green leaf and the contrast in the two leaf colours and as I I often say that you know trees with leaf colour that offer leaf colour tend to hold their foliage for anything up to six or seven months of the year whereas something flowering like the cherries are gone within three or four weeks so Ornamental trees with, with bronze or variegated leaves are, are certainly add them to your garden because they do offer colour for such a long okay, period. Yeah. From now, really May, right through to November. So Okay, so that sounds Yeah, so Acer, Acer Century, Acer Crimson King with my two top purple leaf trees and uh, but it could also be the purple leaf plum as well. Okay. Somebody's wondering how have laurels, they have laurels and they've sown them for about three years or so and they've just noticed this week that some of the new shoots, there's a white flower coming on them. Yeah. Is that, not, that's normal Absolutely, and natural? Absolutely, totally natural. Yes, good. Uh, laurels have a, a flower like a like a candle. It's a kind of a, they're, uh, they're actually in the cherry family yep. and like most cherries, they flower at this time of year. So you'll see the kind of spike of flower. Obviously the, the hedge hasn't been trimmed. On regular laurel, you don't see those flowers because people are cutting them back all the time. So that's, and and all laurels um, have that white flower if you let them grow naturally. Lovely. Another listener is wondering, how far apart would you sow ivy gold ripple variety? Yeah, well, I'd plant them, they're obviously looking to cover a a wall um, and I would put them in about a metre apart. Now the important thing is to to spread the stems. Often when you buy ivy they're trained up in a bamboo can so Mm. they might be two or three feet high strapped onto a bamboo can and many people will plant them like that Mm -hmm. and what you end up because you've spaced them a metre apart is that the gap between the two plants particularly you know up to two or three feet high remains bare because the plant just grows from the top of the cane. So it's very important when you're planting ivy, take it off its cane, spread it left and right, put on a few electrician clips so it should be only an inch from the soil and spread left and right. And because you've bend the stems laterally, that'll encourage all the new shoots to come along that stem and you'll get total foliage from ground level right to the top. So that's very important with ivy. So spread them a metre apart, prepare the soil well, put in some good quality compost, put in some the Osmo Pro 6 uh, feed and uh, plant them. Make sure they're feeling the wall. So a few electrician clips, uh, tighten them onto the wall and off they go. After Once you've done that, away you go. Watch it grow. Watch it grow. Uh, A listener has a three-year-old black Hamburg grapevine in their tunnel. Great. And it's taking up a lot of space. Can they cut it back to a more manageable size? And when should they cut it? Right, and it's three years old. Uh, three years three old. Three years old, yes. yeah. So yeah. it's it's very vigorous. <clears throat> it's very fast growing. All all uh, all grapevines are. Blank Hamburg is the dark purple mm. uh, fruiting variety, quite nice one. And it should fruit this year now. It's in its third year. The trouble with them is that they're so, if you don't put manners on them from day one, they tend to take, take over. Oh, right. Yeah, and they'll grow as a big bush. The, the trick with them is to train them up the bars of the, um, of the tunnel. So... The time to prune them really is, is early spring and you've, it, they're in leaf now. So I, you could do a small bit of pruning. But what you really want to look for is one central shoot that you can train up the bars of the tunnel. And it goes, you go right along the top of the ridge bar and then you train the side stems down either side mm-hmm. of the tunnel so that the, the grapevine is above head height and it's kept up there and the fruit will hang down. So you need to... Distangle the, the 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 stems. You can do some pruning on it now, but try to get the the uh, young stems and one stem in particular trained up that ridge bar and tie it in. A great example, actually, there's a great uh, grapevine in the National Museum of Country Life in Castlebar. Oh right. So if you pop in there, they the, 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 they have a, a lean-to glasshouse. Um, 
Lintru Glass House in the main grounds and there's a grapevine in there that has been trained exactly as I'm describing. So it might be easier to go, to go in and have, have a look, look. And, and see it. Uh, and it, it's in the at the moment and they've trained it up the face of the, the glass house and up the, the top of it. So they've left the total space free in the greenhouse. And actually the grapes are great because they, they add a bit of shade to okay. the glass house during the summer months and the fruit is up high so it's out of the way and um, so that's it would be a good example and that that that's there many years so it's okay. quite a mature plant and you get a sense of how to train them but that's the important thing is to train them on the bars of the of the okay. greenhouse or the um tunnel in this instance and i'm afraid there we're going to have to leave it. well remember that the beekeepers yeah. are are uh, in our turlock center today from 11 o'clock right through to six they're also there tomorrow from 12 to six so if you're interested in honey you're interested in bees in general or you just want to come in for a good old chinwag could drop into the guys and have a chat and we also have our cottage garden uh, d- demonstrations today at 2 30 in galway sligo in Castle Bar. Okay, busy weekend it sounds. Busy weekend. Okay, we'll let you go so and attend. Thanks, and uh, talk to you again next week. Thanks to everybody for your questions and we'll talk to you again next Saturday morning. Good morning.